In the holy name of Jesus, amen. There is a wholeness or a completeness to the Christian life to which we should think about today. We don't live in an isolated group of people here at St. John's, but are part of God's people throughout the centuries and around the world. It is in the whole company of Christ's people that we have our place, our identity, and our task. Around the world today, many Christians, as they have done for centuries, are remembering that today is six months before Christmas and our Savior's birth, Christmas Eve, rather. Christians are also remembering the birth, then, of John the Baptist, our brother in the company of God's people, in which he also had his place, his identity, and his task. Two boys are born at the beginning of the gospel, according to St. Luke, one born six months before the other. Because their mothers are cousins, artists have often pictured these two boys playing together. But they grew up in opposite parts of the land. Mary's was born north in Galilee, and Elizabeth's son in the hill country of Judea. One grew up in the house of a carpenter, the other in the home of a priest, which was really a more comfortable and cultured home. So we know that in the hill country and the wilderness, that's where you would see John grow to mature manhood. Like Elijah before him in the wilderness, John knew the winds and storms and quaking of the earth. His still, small voice was the message of of his parents, telling him all the work that he would have to do, his role in dealing with God's people, his place in God's people. Now, we aren't told much about all of John's years of training and preparation, of setting and equipping himself for the task, but we know he did. John's father, we heard today, sung of God's dealing with Israel, of the promises that had been made of Abraham, the promise of deliverance, and of the bringing to completion all that God had in his mind to achieve in this world. This young John was not a man without history or without identity. He knew he belonged of God to the people of God and had his part to play the fulfillment of those prophecies of old. Thus, when the time came for John to do what he had to do, he burst suddenly on the scene. A gaunt, startling figure with hair and clothes that declared what he was there for. John had the garment of camel's hair and leather belt of the prophet Elijah. The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And thus he went about the work that he was made to do, to go into all the region about the Jordan, preaching the good news of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But as sudden, swift, and 
devastating, even dramatic as his preaching was. So John's life was over. First prison and then execution. John's head cut off at the request of a young strip dancer, the daughter of a marriage-breaking mother, and by a half-drunk princeling. No wonder that while John was in prison, he wondered if it had all been a big mistake. But he did not just slump there and fall apart with the complaints that he had, that he deserved a better deal. Instead, he reached for an answer, where if there was an answer, it alone could be found. John sent to Jesus with the questions, are you for real? Or, and are you the one? The answer John got from Jesus was nothing that he did not already know. He was given no special word, no special experience or demonstration. Simply, his disciples came back reporting that Jesus only said, Go tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me, of Jesus. That was John's last temptation. Jesus was doing his work his way. But that didn't quite seem to fit the way that John thought things should be done. Crowds had flocked to John, but then they had left him and gone to Jesus. John's message was a stern renunciation of sin, fire and brimstone, if you like. And then here's Jesus associating with doubtful, unlikely sorts of people, the sort of people you would not expect to have any sort of connection with the kingdom of God. John's last temptation. He was faced with the question, Jesus' way or the way that I think things should go? Jesus' way or the way I think things should go? And he had already been given answer with with words. Earlier in his ministry, John had said, He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. And now he was faced in prison with the living out of the message that he preached, answering his own question with his own life. Against John's doubts and uncertainties, he lays his head on the block. And with his death, he confesses with ultimate clarity, yes, Jesus, you are the one. Your way, not my way, be done. We see in John the Baptist how all of Christ's people, you and I, are called to lay our lives on the line, refusing to serve ourselves, our own ideas, our thoughts, or the accommodating of Salome's and Herodias's and Herod's in this world. How we are to refuse to make popularity and success a measure of our lives. In John, we see that faith holds on to Christ even through suffering and loss 
and even death. And even that is Christ's gift. Now, if we were to use the lives of all the saints, including St. John, as great heroes worthy of example, that would always lead us into disappointment. Who of us would lay our heads on the chopping block like John? The comparison with the saints of old would crush us with the wonder of what use or hope we feeble Christians have. But that's not why God reveals and records this testimony of John to us. John the Baptist is most for us when we hear and heed what he said as a prophet, his message, which was a message of repentance and, above all, a message that pointed to Christ. Follow the hand of John the Baptist and the words of John, which all point to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1. So he tells us that Jesus' forgiveness is for your sin and for mine, even such unlikely people as you and I are. For all our doubting of God's plans and promises and for our insistence of our own way instead of Jesus' way, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ Jesus answers for our sins, even for the sins of John. He is the Lamb slain for our forgiveness, for our liberty from captiveness. His forgiveness makes us, includes us in God's company of people. And in that company of people, he reveals to us who we are and what we are here for, just like John. Jesus associates himself with people like you and me. And with us, he would do his work in this world. He gives forgiveness and acceptance. He gives freedom from all that enslaves us. He gives us a life that is shaped and shines with his love. Even in the midst of prison and the most dreary of days, like for John. It is fitting for us, even in the midst of this Trinity tide, to remember on this day John the Baptist and to give thanks to God for him. We thank God for all on this day who are thanking and praising throughout the world. But we thank God for each other, too, who through and above it all give thanks, not simply for John, but for who John pointed to, Christ, who is the one who joined us to himself and to one another with love and holds us all through death. And even through the death of John, whose birth we celebrate, but whose another birth we will celebrate in six months, God willing, from today, the one whom John the Baptist heralded. John, even today, serves us still as he points us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thanks be to Jesus in his holy name. Amen.